0: Boom Shagalaka, there it is welcome 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 everybody to this be yeah. beautiful day where i've got my watch yelling at me i don't know why doesn't matter we're gonna have an awesome time talking about transitioning and mental health our guest is super passionate and hopefully by the end you will be too here we go let's jump in
1: practicing polyamory real-life perspectives from the imperfect people of polyamory
0: The mission of the practicing polyamory podcast is to provide a platform for all of the
1: real life flawed humans that practice polyamory so that we might all learn from one another and grow as a community enjoy the show
0: all right everybody welcome one more time to this beautiful day before we jump in and chat with today's awesome guest i want to quickly remind everybody that we do three live shows every single week, which means there's a lot of opportunity for you all to ask questions. If you have questions about your relationships or if there's a topic you'd like to hear discussed on the show, slide into my DMs and comment or comment while we're live. By the way, Aaron, remind me, I do have a question for you from our guest, uh, from our audience. Uh, so if you want to ask a question, follow the show on all social media platforms at Practicing Polly Let me know what it is that you want us to talk about. And as always, I want to remind you, If you're listening to this podcast, you are a welcome guest to be on the show. We're here to share our imperfect stories, and I want to get as many voices as possible to speak here because I know that the more stories we hear, the more others will see us in themselves, and the more representation we have, the more we can strengthen our community. So go to practicingpolyamory.com, sign up today. All right, everybody, that's my spiel. Now to the best part of the show, introducing our awesome guest. With a wide swath of life experience, saddled with nearly 10 years of education and professional practice, today's guest is a fierce advocate in the fight for proper mental health care for the trans community. And they're perfectly situated to help folks who are navigating gender transitions and identity. You see, for folks who are looking to transition, working with a mental health professional can be a barrier and can deter a person from getting the care they need to become the fullest version of themselves. Our guest's mission is to be part of the movement that opens the gates for those looking to transition, providing the guiding hand to walk beside you and navigate this oft-confusing path. Our guest is most passionate about working with children ages 12 and under and approaches therapy from a systemic perspective, understanding that people are not islands and are shaped by their families, both chosen and of origin, and all of their life experience. So let's see what we can learn from today's awesome guest, who's joining us today from Renewed Mental Health out of Joplin, Missouri. Welcome to the show, Erin Brutlaw. Exciting. (laughs) It should be, you know. Therapy does not have to be all boring and, you know, super serious and all this stuff. I I don't know. I mean, maybe it's just me. I like to have a good time, at least when we're talking about it. Maybe in session it might be different. You tell me.
1: I mean, I try to make therapy as fun as possible. I like to play, like, board games with my kiddos and my adults as well. Play, like, with Barbies and Legos and just generally have a good time. Draw with markers, all that kind of fun stuff. Therapy does not need to be boring. Totally agree with that. Uh, Aaron, I,
0: I just want to, before we jump into that, I definitely want to ask you about this because I did read uh, in your bio a lot about play therapy. So I'll, I'll get back to that. But first, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, who are you? A, a little bit of background on you and uh, especially, you know, your journey in polyamory, uh, gender nonconformity, I guess I'll call it. I, that, that's what I'll go with for now. Sure. Um feel free to correct me. And, you know, what brings you to the show today?
1: Well, I think identity is like a hard thing for me to talk about because I have wound up with a lot of identities over time. Um, I came out as bi when I was 18. I knew about that since probably age nine or 10. Um, Gender was kind of a harder thing for me to to figure out. I didn't really know there was other options until college. I just knew that Girl was probably not the most accurate term, Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. didn't really come out in that regard until I was in my 20s, and I feel like I'm kind of hitting my stride within, like, in terms of my identity and social transition and things like that. Got my cool name change, all that cool stuff. Uh, Polly I've known about since probably, like, right after high school. Uh, That was something that some of the friends that I had at the time kind of introduced me to that concept. It was Mm -hmm. something that really appealed to me because, you know, know, it's very hard to like stick yourself with one partner. Sometimes, sometimes you have passion for more than one person. And so I have actually been in two different poly relationships over the course of my life, both of which have had their ups and downs. I think that they both taught me a lot about like myself and how to interact with other people.
0: I love it. I I totally agree with all of that. And Polly for me, I mean, You're like, well, sometimes that doesn't work that just to love one person. I'm like, yeah, a lot of people make that choice. I've been listening lately to uh, Sex at Dawn over the past few days, Mm -hmm. and it talks about how like there's there's it's not necessarily natural. It's like a choice to be monogamous as opposed to, you know. Otherwise, Um, the thing that stood out to me, though, (laughs) what you were saying uh, was girl was not the term right so and you you said that you realized that fra- fairly early on in your childhood so you also like to work with children under 12 years old uh, are were you under 12 when you figured that out
1: i was probably about 5 when i started to like wow. learn more about the concept of like gender and this was mostly because of bullying in school mm-hmm. unfortunately uh, I'm o- I've am i always been Aaron. My name was spelled differently before, but um, I was told when I was little that my name was a boy name and I liked boy things and boy colors. And it always seemed like that was something that was like treated as a negative. Like I wasn't fitting into the box that I was supposed to. Mm-hmm. And I didn't really think about myself as anything until I was told what I was being made fun of and what I was not supposed to be.
0: Hmm. So, I, I think back to, you know, uh when I was a kid and like boys got blue everything and girls got pink everything. Mm-hmm. Right. And it was it was very <laughs> simpler times, quote unquote, right? You you fill out a form and it's got male and female and that's it. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but obviously we know that now that, you know, not everybody fit into that box. And so I'm really curious about um about those those early stages I guess uh you said that you were being told what you were supposed to be and what you weren't supposed to be so how does that um, how does that how did that affect you growing
1: up? I think it kind of warped my perspective of what I was supposed to be like you mentioned the color pink I decided at, a, at an early age because I was supposed to like pink that I adamantly hated pink and would mm-hmm. never like that at all. Um, i'm still not super cool with pink but like purple's okay (laughs) okay i feel like that's kind of fitting i feel like it did have the advantage though like i was my parents first child and they were they didn't like explicitly be gender neutral about parenting me but they were never like you can't have that toy or you have to have this toy so like Mm -hmm. they liked to joke that like my barbies rode around in my Tonka trucks and stuff like that
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's so great though like so, so your parents actually gave you both toys. Yeah,
1: my That's my awesome. parents were were good about like providing me with with like I said like Barbies and sand toys, and I went out in the garage and like got greasy with my dad and worked on cars and did gardening with my mom. I was I was kind of a grubby kid.
0: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but you had a little bit of of both sides of it, uh, the yeah. gender norm things. That's cool. That's cool. So that that's your experience, but that's not everybody's experience.
1: No, not right. At-
0: and so you get to uh, talk with kids who are going through probably similar things, uh, experiencing the same bullying at school, but maybe don't have parents that are as supportive. Like, tell me a little bit about the the the. Um, patients that you have or clients, whatever, that are going through this without support or, or, or struggling?
1: Well, the reason why I had wanted to focus on like such a young age range, just because like, like you had said, not all kids have necessarily parental support. And even if they do, they don't necessarily have the rest of the family on board, or they don't have peers that are accepting of them. And so I found that it was especially important to me to be a voice for those kids um, because not a lot of therapists enjoy working with children. I have found Mm -hmm. in my profession because they are difficult clients sometimes, they have a very different way of thinking and doing than adults do, they're much less predictable. But I have found that that's kind of my my niche is working with, with trans kids, with working with any kinds of kids, honestly. I uh, just you have to be willing to like get down on the floor and play with them and listen to them.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. The the play therapy getting back to that since you talked about it and working with kids. I mm-hmm. mean, is it kind of the same thing you get Barbies and you get Tonka trucks and you kind of put them together and see what they do?
1: Yeah, um I like in my own practice, I try to provide a lot of different kinds of toys. I don't have Tonka trucks right now, but I do have a lot of matchbox cars and like blocks. I do have a humongous box of Barbies um, and like animal figures and all kinds of stuff. One of the things that I think I had mentioned um, in my bio is um, that I do sand tray. And so that... I don't remember if that's necessarily classified as play therapy, but it is a kind of expressive therapy where mm-hmm. you can use like toys as symbols to talk about an experience you've had mm. or express like a thing you need to process.
0: That's super interesting. Cause that that was kind of where I was going and what I was thinking. Uh you mentioned, you know, you were you were like five years old when you realized, hey, I'm I'm not exactly, you know, boy or girl. I'm I'm just, you know right? But you don't have the language, right? I'm, I'm over here at 37 struggling with, you know, how, how you might have expressed that at five years old. Um, so tell me a little bit about how children express their questioning of gender when they're that young. I, I, do they even grasp the concept?
1: Like you said, it's a lot of not really knowing a language. Honestly, sometimes with gender, like I not not identity, gender um, discovery and gender, like playing and questioning around, it's a lot of like figuring out what you're not and what you don't like mm-hmm. and what doesn't fit you. Sometimes you're not quite good at figuring out what does fit you, and so that is one of the reasons why I like to use play because when there isn't a language for that. I can observe how the child plays, what they gravitate towards, and kind of make some informed choice, like, thoughts about, like, okay, what does this kid prefer? How are they going to use the toys and the items that they have chosen in order to express, like, the things that they're questioning and the things they're wondering about?
0: Makes a lot of sense. As they start to get a little bit older, as kids start to get a little bit older, they start to learn some of the the language, right? So maybe they put the toys down and they can express things more in a talking sense or, you know, art, other expressive therapies, like you said. Um, So at what point do you go from, you know, I'm five years old and I'm not really sure what I am to now I'm X age and... I'm pretty sure that I was assigned the wrong gender at birth.
1: Well, like you had said, like older kids are generally better at talking things out. One of the advantages that I think I have had as, as being a therapist now, like in modern times, as opposed to like being a therapist in the nineties or even in seventies is that more kids know the language that is being used by the trans community because there is so much more information spread. These kids are, more online they're more connected to other people in the community they have more of a space to talk out what they wonder and what they question with their peers and with other trans people and so i can just come in and kind of clarify any questions they might have about the language that they're using and figure out how to really hone in on their identity and how to best understand themselves
0: i love it community is everything i mean it- the internet changed everything for us, Uh, you know, it gives us that sense of community, whether we're poly, whether we're trans, whether we're, you know, any number of things that we, that we identify as or care about, like it's all, it's all there. So uh, I'm curious of what kind of, information or maybe misinformation like what are what are some things maybe that your your clients have come to you and said hey i read this on the inter- on the internet and you're like whoa whoa, whoa whoa that's you know that's that that's wrong like that's not the way that you want to approach it you want to go this way
1: honestly i've been really fortunate to have pretty informed clients even though some of the the trans kids i have are like younger teens or like 11 mm-hmm. or so the misinformation that i find is usually by by parents um, who are doing their best to be supportive but maybe didn't find the best resources or who read things that weren't quite accurate like the the example i can think of is i had a discussion with a parent about like safe binding for their child they were not quite sure about like what the correct times were that the, the child could use the binder their their thoughts were a little bit on the high side and the Mm -hmm. child was a little more informed actually about what would be safe for them to do because they were more connected. And so we had a talk about like how to bind safely and all kinds of things like that.
0: This that's so cool. I mean, kids, kids, definitely know how to use the internet probably better than their parents generally speaking I would say that's like a universal truth (laughs) like I know I I think I know how to use the internet better than my parents for the most part unless they're trying to find something on how to do something on YouTube anyway (laughs) neither here nor there so when it comes to parents like that is such a such an important relationship obviously um when when the kids are coming to you Are they usually being supported by the parents or are the parents sometimes trying to be like, yo, like, I don't want this for my kid?
1: It's pretty rare that I get a client with an unsupportive parent, at least not the parent who chose to put them in therapy. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the parents will differ wildly on how supportive they are. And so that can cause a lot of rifts, especially if the other parent has decided that they don't want their kid to be in therapy anymore. I have unfortunately lost some clients over parents who were not in agreement about the level of support their child needed for gender development. And that that is heartbreaking, honestly, yeah. when you have one supportive parent who really wants their kid to have like an adult trans person to talk to who is educated, and can help them, you know, go down that path, and the other parent is like absolutely not.
0: That does sound like a really just shitty experience. Um, when you have those parents that are differing of differing opinions like that, um, I mean, you said sometimes you lose it, sometimes you lose the client, and that definitely sucks. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the ones that you're able to keep, like, what are what are some things that you tell parents? Um, you know, maybe there maybe there's a parent listening right now who is like eh, kind of on the fence about it. What would you say to that parent to, you know, convince them, "Hey, look, there this kind of therapy is actually the best thing that you can do for your child."
1: Ultimately, there is absolutely no harm in letting a child explore their gender identity. It's not It's not going to turn them into anything specific. They are already the person that they are. They're just trying to figure out the best words to talk about who they are and share that with their parents, with their friends, with their families. And so giving them the space to figure that out and being supportive in whatever way they can, that is the most important thing you can do for a child who is questioning their gender.
0: Perfect. When it comes to stuff like binders and and all of this all of this questioning all of these things that are that are that that's you know a transitioning person is going through uh there's also the coming out side of it right so i wanted to ask you about uh about the coming out part uh from two perspectives one is the perspective of the trans person who is coming out and publicly saying hey you know i was assigned incorrectly at birth and i am transitioning and like this is my new name what are some of the things that that person commonly goes through and what are some of the things that you commonly help people through during that time
1: i think the the biggest hurdle to coming out especially to family um and i'm i'm speaking as a person who is currently living in a very conservative part of the country so the biggest thing that i see is the fear that their parent will or the or their family in general will not accept them mm-hmm. and at the worst will put them through conversion therapy oof i have a number of of not just trans but like queer of all stripes clients who have gone through some kind of conversion therapy or christian counseling it is it's awful to hear the things that they have gone through and honestly a big part of therapy with them is just working through the trauma of having to go go through the kind of therapy that doesn't actually help you
0: can we um can we put on a a trigger warning here for anybody who um might have experience with this. Can you tell me a little bit about conversion therapy? Some of these, uh, I mean, I, I'm curious. I, I I don't exactly know what goes on in there, but you know, if you can share some stories, if they're not, you know, overly traumatic or especially identifying.
1: I mean, it is overly traumatic as an experience. Um, even before I started doing therapy, that was something that was like an important research topic for me in undergrad and going on, because I knew the community that I would be working with. I just had no idea how many people I would run into that had actually gone through that because at the time it just felt like such an archaic thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's everything from what's called aversion therapy, um, which is like, You're definitely going to want a trigger warning for this section. Um, uh, Showing a person straight pornography and gay pornography and electrocuting them if they are aroused by the gay pornography.
0: Seriously? Electrocuting? Like actual...
1: Like shocks, yes. Wow. Uh, There is a lot of shaming. There's a lot of forcing into specific gender roles. If you want a, a funnier take on it, there's a movie called But I'm a Cheerleader. It's very '90s, but it is kind of, of of a funnier take on conversion therapy. It's even got RuPaul in it, hmm. uh, but it kind of does go into some of the things that are going on in. Then they're very Christian focused, usually uh, conversion therapy camps and conversion therapy in general.
0: Yeah, that's gosh. I, 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 it just, it kind of blows my mind that this kind of stuff is still happening. Cause I mean, if, you know, soldiers get in trouble for taking pictures of naked prisoners in Abu Ghraib, Ghraib, right? Like, like that's just the first thing that comes to my head. That's, you know, whatever, but like that, that's torture, right? Mm -hmm. To me, like something like that, that, that's straight up torture. Like I, ugh I can't believe it, um, all right, so thank you for, for giving me a little bit of insight. I, I wasn't sure, you know, I've read some stuff, but but it's like this is more confirmational, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so the other side of coming out, and this was an interesting topic that uh, another another guest brought up at one point, which is, yes, the trans person is coming out, but there's also something of a coming out for their parents or for their family as well, Um, especially in conservative circles where, you know, the parents now have to tell their church family and, you know, these other people, hey, yeah, like, you know, those those trans people that you see on TV? Yeah, my kid's one of them. So what is. Do you talk to parents about that part of the experience and what would you tell what would you say to a parent who is you know kind of dreading that
1: so the way that i like to conceptualize coming out both to my clients and to their parents and their families is that coming out in any way is a gift that the Mm. person coming out is choosing to give to the person they are coming out to it shows that you trust that person enough to tell them a very important part of your life that they would not necessarily know just by looking at you or talking to you. And so I think that the best thing that I, I could say to a family member is that when they're given that gift, they need to treat it with care. Their, their child, their family member is coming out to them. It, it was probably extremely difficult for them to work up to that point and so the best thing that they can do is to be voraciously supportive of their family member who's come out. Uh, not to worry about what the ladies at church are going to say or anything like that, but to care more about your family member than about like your reputation or your church or anything like that.
0: So basically it's when they have that opportunity to come out, it is not something that, that should be I mean, I'm trying to work through this because I know like like for myself, when I told uh, my parents that I'm polyamorous, right, my parents are also pretty deeply conservative. And so and especially when I started doing this podcast and I'm like, you know, blasting it everywhere, like I imagine my mom has some um, reservations, I guess, about, you know, what when I was in church, you know, knee high to a grasshopper and, and all of these people knew who I was and now they see me doing this. Like I, I imagine my mom has some kind of, of shame maybe. So what would you say? What would you say about that? Like, like th- there are people that carry that, you know, as, 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 as much as we want them to be proud and, and, and we want them to acknowledge that it's, it's a gift that we're giving to, to, come out to them and to trust them. There's, you know, potentially a shame. So what do you say to that?
1: Those are the times that I really hope that I can get the family member experiencing that shame on the couch and talking between me, the client and themselves so that they can talk about exactly what their reservations are, how this might like fly in the face of their beliefs. And so we can process it I think probably one of the best experiences I had was with an adult trans person who was working with their mom, uh, who was having a lot of struggles with dealing with their their trans child and their beliefs as a Christian. And so we talked it out. We, I I have a Christian background myself, so I was able to pull out some like Bible verses and thoughts about God and things like that. So I was able to use that experience in order to find a common ground mm-hmm. and help that parent be supportive and validating to their child.
0: Nice. You actually use scripture to mm-hmm. bridge the gap.
1: I pull out whatever tools I can.
0: <laughs> you gotta do it. You gotta do it. I mean, I one of my favorite ones is always the uh, the the number one commandment, the first commandment is love your neighbor as yourself, mm-hmm. right? Just Love everybody. All right, I'm going to switch gears a little bit here because I want to make sure that I get to this. So uh, I did have a question from uh, somebody in the audience, Mm -hmm. uh, somebody who wanted to ask something. uh, And what they want to know is, how do I talk to my partner, who is also new to polyamory, about my potential partner? So uh, this person goes on to say that... uh, they are the one who gets upset about things. So I guess it sounds like uh, they, they have a little bit of a miscommunication here. Like one of them is not quite ready to ha- have these open discussions. So what do you say to, to a couple who is opening up their uh, relationship and they're having trouble communicating about their other partners?
1: One, I, I mean, I think the biggest thing with poly in general is to understand the boundaries of your partners and like what they are and are not okay hearing and knowing about. And so if you want to broach the conversation of like, this is what I was up to with my other partners, this is what we're doing, this is what we're interested in, you need to figure out if your partner is okay hearing that stuff, and if so, what they want to know, what they might not want to know. Any specifics? Honestly, that really depends on on the couple or on the group of people together. Uh, For example, I know that sometimes there are polycules that don't want to know about like sexuality between other partners. There are some that absolutely want to know like when their partner's on a date with somebody else, sometimes for safety reasons, sometimes just for like knowing what's going on. That's really a discussion that has to be had openly about what is and is not okay to share, how to share it, et cetera.
0: So it's basically have a conversation about the conversation, like Mm -hmm. decide what it is that you're comfortable hearing, what your partner's comfortable hearing uh, and how and when to have these kinds of discussions.
1: Yeah. And it can be hard to like broach the topic of we need to have a talk about talking because Mm -hmm. the kind of a weird concept but there is you know there's the two pillars of polyamory are openness and honesty and so that is the openness part of it is like this is what I want to know I really hope that you are going to respect my boundaries on what I do and don't want to know
0: perfect all righty well the last thing that I want to say are uh, before before we uh start to close up here um is if there was anything that I missed If there's anything that you wish that I had asked or uh, just some final thoughts that you might want to leave with our listeners today.
1: I think that one of the things I was hoping to talk about was about the experience of being trans in poly, because I've noticed more and more that that is a trend that poly that trans people are in polycules with other trans people. Mm -hmm. Um, especially I've noticed this interesting trend of like international lesbian polycules, trans lesbian polycules. That's something that I've noticed amongst like across clients is that's, that's a thing that's happening. And I find it super interesting that people are able to get more connected because like we had talked about, you know, we're online, we can connect to people across the world and we can find connections to people who are overseas and et cetera and have a good romantic relationship with them.
0: I love it. Yeah, I mean, you're right. We didn't get into specifically being trans and poly. Is there anything that you would want to cover on that subject specifically?
1: not something that wouldn't take like a whole other episode.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. All right, Aaron. Well, it has absolutely been uh, a pleasure to hang out with you, to learn from you. If somebody wanted to work with you, uh, what is the best way for them to get in touch with you, to reach out with to you, to follow you? uh, And for our listening audience, uh, let them know how to find you.
1: So the best way for me to work with a person, I am licensed as a marriage and family therapist in Missouri. Um, So uh, people who would want to be potentially my client could go to our website at renewedmentalhealth.com or give us a call. The phone number is on the website. But I am taking new clients. I absolutely love working with my poly clients and my trans clients. Those are two of my favorite populations to work with.
0: Perfect. And follow everywhere on Instagram or well, follow on Instagram, I should say, uh, at renewed mental health.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: All right, Aaron. Well, once again, thank you so much for uh, spending some time with me. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, I feel like I learned a lot, got a lot of really good insight. I hope you had a good time, too.
1: Yes. Thanks for having me.
0: Of course. And thank you, as always, to our live audience for tuning in today. As a reminder, when we're live, you get no commercial interruptions, but the same can't be said for those podcast downloads. So if you want to avoid the commercial interruptions, be sure to catch us live Monday through Wednesday, 2.30 Pacific time. I almost almost said specific time. Pacific time. Or sign up for Patreon where you'll get access to our commercial-free RSS feed and support the show. Don't forget to uh, subscribe on YouTube, wherever it is that you download your podcast. And if you haven't already, please leave us a review. We'll really appreciate it. All right, everybody, that is all we've got. Thank you one more time. Aaron, thank you all for tuning in. And until next time. Have
1: a nice day!